from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Cindy Savage on January 21, 2017. Cindy has been an educator for more than 35 years in the U.S., South America, and China. While in China, Cindy implemented the World Ambassador Program, a joint venture with Bestway International. It's an educational program that expands the student's perspective to be world-embracing. As a World Ambassador teacher and trainer, Cindy teaches global awareness through a unique blend of stories, biographies of people making the world a better place, songs, games, and art. She talks more about the program in the interview. She's written 40-plus novels for young people and 100-plus textbooks. We talk about Cindy's Youth Wave book series as well as her newest works in the interview. We also talk about her latest endeavor called Spirit Play that combines activity with meditation. She talks about a recent spirit play workshop she conducted. I started the interview by asking Cindy where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area part of the time. And the other part of the time, I grew up in the Florida Keys. My father was a carpenter. And in the winter, when there wasn't a lot of work in California, we would save our money during the year in a big jar on the kitchen sink. And we would head off with our trailer and our camper and go down to Florida and spend about three or four months. So I spent half the year in school in California and half the year in school on the Florida Keys. And I had friends both places. And I really loved being able to be on the water. And my dad and mom were fisher people and they loved to do crafts and art. My dad was a painter. He could build anything. My mom was a weaver and textile artist. So I got a lot of interesting outdoor time combing the beaches, making art projects out of what we found and started to write stories actually when I was down on the Florida Keys. How old were you? Well, I had my first rejection from Highlights Magazine when I was 12. For some reason, I thought those stories sounded like kids wrote them, (laughs) (laughs) being written by adults who try to sound like kids. Since then, I've taught writing for about 30 years, and many of my students have been published in the one magazine that I got the rejection from back then, so I feel pretty good about that. Did you ever get published when you were a kid? I did, actually. I got published when I was six years old. My mother sent in a poem to a local newspaper. It was about trees, and that got published. And then it was interesting because when I was in sixth grade, and I loved to write, I always loved to write, and I wrote a poem for a contest at school, and I won the contest. And then they took the prize away because they determined somewhere along the line that an adult must have written it. It was too good. So that was kind of my first inkling that I might be a decent writer because they took the prize away thinking I was an adult. 
Oh my gosh, that's unreal. Yeah. You took it okay in, in stride. Now, it's only taken me 30 years to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I think at the time, I think my mom was really instrumental in saying to me, if they don't believe that you did this, then it's not the right kind of contest. We'll have you enter something else. And she always loved my poems. And in fact, I think this was a very sneaky thing that she did. But when I was a teenager and pouring my teenage angst and love loss and everything out into my poetry, she very kindly offered to type all my poems for me so that they'd be typed. Wasn't that sweet of her? Yes. That's how she got to know what was going on inside my head, was reading all (laughs) my poetry, ostensibly just to type it up so that it would be safe. Any regrets there? No, absolutely not. I still have all of that typed stuff that she did, so it's all good. And what was religious life like growing up? My parents were not involved in any religious organization, but early on in my life, when I was in elementary school, I enjoyed attending church services with my friends. In that time frame, I think this is when I developed this desire and need really to pray. So I always prayed, even maybe from as early as eight or 10 years old, I always said prayers every night before I went to bed and maybe even during the day if I needed some help. So I really didn't have a religious upbringing at home, but I had a moral upbringing. My parents insisted on us having morals and being honest and being patient and using virtue. And so that's what they gave to me. And you took that with you through adulthood? Well, I became a Baha'i when I was 15. Actually, I wrote a book about it. This is what happened. I was attending church with my friends. I was in a Presbyterian church, which had an excellent youth group. We went backpacking and we had encounter group sessions and book clubs. We just had a lot of fun. So I was involved in that. But at school, I was doing theater and I did all of the makeup for the plays. So we were doing Midsummer Night's Dream. And I always got this, you know, a certain group of people who would come and get their makeup put on and I would turn them into fairies or goblins or whatever they were being for the play. And every night this boy would come to me and we would discuss the things that we like to do. And so he said he was in the Madrigal Choir, which is one of the school's highest choirs. And I said, well, I've been told I really can't carry a note. And then the next night he would come and I would put his makeup on and he would say, well, he really loved physics. And I would say, well, I'm just much more into biology and physiology. And then the next night it would be something else. And maybe a week of this goes by and he says, you know, we have absolutely nothing in common. We should go out on a date. (laughs) So I said, okay, of course, you know, I got asked out by this very interesting person who was completely different than me. So he said, well, before we go on a date, I have a book I want you to read. And so he gave me a book called Baha'u'llah and the New Era, which is an introductory book about the Baha'i faith. 
So I started reading this book, trying to be dutiful, you know, before I went on this date. The book was very confusing to me. There were a lot of names that were from a different language. And I kind of got the idea that it was a religion, but I couldn't quite understand it. So I went on this date and we went to something called a fireside. A fireside was like a, an informal meeting at someone's house and someone gave a little talk and there were a lot of people and we shared and discussed things and then had some refreshments and that kind of thing. So it was a very cozy kind of thing. I don't remember if there was actually a fire, but a lovely woman named Gidi Kiani was there. She was giving a talk. She gave a talk about the history of the Baha'i faith, the main people in the Baha'i faith, the main tenets and principles of the Baha'i faith. And I listened. At the refreshment portion, I went up to her and I said, so I guess what I'm understanding is that there are other messengers or prophets of God besides Jesus. And she said, well, of course there are. God has never left mankind alone, and he has always sent a progressive set of messengers or prophets to share his teachings with people. And that kind of clicked with me. So I went to the library, and I took out about 20 books on the Baha'i Faith, and I read and read and read and read. And it was just about March. The Baha'is were going to have a fasting time from March 2nd to March 20th. And then it was going to be the Baha'i New Year. So I decided that I would fast and I would investigate and I would try to figure out whether this was something I wanted to do. And so over the time of the fast, I did a lot more reading and soul searching and praying. And on the Baha'i New Year, I declared myself a Baha'i. What was your parents' reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? Well, they thought it was a very interesting religion because it believed that men and women were equal and that it was something that they had always taught my sister and I. It believed that all people were one. And my father was a carpenter, as I said before, and he was a foreman on many jobs. So he worked with a lot of people that were different races and religions and upbringings. He was always talking to them and sharing stories and that kind of thing. So I had always been around parents who felt that the principles of the Baha'i faith, which included education and the ability to speak maybe a language other than your home tongue, was very important. My dad saw that when he was working, that he wished he knew how to speak Spanish, and he was very delighted when I learned how to speak Spanish. They were actually very interested. They came to a few things. Some of the Baha'is in the community went to visit with them, to talk to them about what it was, so that they knew that it was a safe place for their daughter to be. How would you say becoming a Baha'i changed your perspective on what you wanted to do going forward in your life? When I was in high school, I was very involved in clubs. I liked being able to be of service through the booster club. There were just many clubs at school. So I liked to be involved. I just enjoyed being with people and enjoyed doing things that made people happy. When I went to college, I wanted to become a nurse. I got partway through pre-med 
and they told all of the people who were wanting to become nurses that they had enough nurses and that we really should think of something else to do. So then I thought that I should become an occupational therapist. You can see there's a trend here that these things are ways to help people. I started doing that and then again something happened and all along the way though I was taking Spanish classes. When they finally said, well it's time for you to graduate, what you have is enough classes to graduate in Spanish and ethnic studies. So I got a double major in Spanish and ethnic studies with an emphasis in biology. And then later when I became a teacher, I have a very unusual teaching credential because I can teach biology and Spanish. Interesting mm -hmm. combination. Yeah. I became a teacher actually, and kind of in a long roundabout way, but most of my life I've been a teacher in some way, teacher, a trainer, a writer. I always liked to write. I did have some teachers in high school who told me that I was a good writer, but I think it's very important for writing teachers, if they find their students are good writers and have a bent in that direction, to really encourage them. Because I don't think that writing is a career that most parents necessarily think is viable. Kind of like being a starving artist. <laughs> You know, right. being a starving writer. But it's not true. Writing is a wonderful career. My first book was published when I was 30. It was sold four years prior to that, but my first book was published then. And since then, I've written more than 40 novels for young adults and given a lot of workshops in schools and a lot of encouraging young people to write. And then I've also written some books for adults, most recently spiritual adventure novels. And I've written a lot of textbooks, about 100. Now, what would the textbooks be on? Well, the most recent textbook series that I wrote, eight years ago, my husband and I went to China. And we were both teaching in schools over there. He's a mediator, so he was teaching mediation in the law schools. I was teaching writing to not only students, but also to teachers, because the school district asked if I would train all of their middle and high school teachers in writing. So I was doing that. And then the district asked if I would write a series of courses on cultural awareness. And they really wanted to have things about like, what do they wear in Papua New Guinea? And what do they eat in Germany? And what kind of house do they live in in Africa? I said, well, you know, those differences are really interesting and they really make the world colorful and vibrant. But we have some things that we share and that's the virtues. So the program that I wrote is called the World Ambassador Program. It is used right now mostly in Shanghai for grade one through grade 11. Each grade level has a different textbook. Each month they learn about a different country and they learn about that country through songs and games and stories and activities that focus on the virtues that they are studying that month. And that program is still in place today in China? Yes, that program has been running now for about six years. About 40,000 students have been through the program. There are 8,000 students in the program this year. I was there in September training teachers. We have about 20 foreign teachers from America or Canada or another English-speaking country there teaching the program. 
And we have around 50 Chinese English teachers who are also teaching the program in their schools. So I was there in September and I'll be going back again next month to do more liaison work with the schools and to participate in a big event that we have every spring. This spring it's called I'm an Artist. We've had I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, I'm a maker, you know, different things each year. And then this involves all of the schools together so that they can be part of the program together. So when did you go to China? I first went to China in 2009, in January of 2009, after about a month in India, where I was also doing some curriculum development. So we lived there for the better part of 2009 through 2013, just coming back to the States for visits in the summer. So how did you have the opportunity to work in India and then in China? In India, we were working for a place called the Baha'i Academy, which is a teacher training institute in Panchgani in the Maharashtra district. They have a program called Universal Human Values, which is a program that is used in all of the colleges and universities in the Maharashtra district, helping students with ethics and decision-making. There's a large service component to it. And so I was working with them on designing this curriculum. It's similar, when you think about it, to what I'm doing in China. In China, I'm doing it with elementary, middle, and high school. In India, we're doing something similar, but with university students. And how did you have the opportunity to do it in China? My husband had worked there before. Actually, my husband and I just got married in 2009. So when I met him in 2008, he had been to China. He was going back to China. And I said, okay, let's go. (laughs) And then he was working with the school already and told them that he was bringing his wife. And so they were able to give me a job. Now, you also were in South America. What countries were you in South America? In Chile and in Venezuela. How did you have the opportunity to go to Chile? I was actually working with a number of schools in California writing a GED online program in Spanish. And I was using some writers and teachers in Chile. They were working with me to help me develop the program. So I would go back and forth to work with them both creating curriculum for them in English as a second language and having them help me create curriculum in Spanish for Spanish speakers here. And both things, I was either doing training or curriculum development or teaching of some sort. So tell me about your Youth Wave books. Well, the first book that I wrote was called Nothing in Common, and it's the story of my life becoming a Baha'i, the story that I told you earlier. The next set of books that I wrote was called the Youth Wave series, and it started with Ride the Wave and then Wheeling It, and then there are a number of other books, Cruise In, Stir and Serve, and these books were published in England in the 90s. They're a series of books about a group of Baha'i youth in a local high school who have 
a workshop. And a, a workshop in this case means a dance workshop. So they would perform for local events and do dances, sing songs, do sign language, all of these things to give service in their community. I had trained a youth workshop in California. So many of the stories came out of just my work with teens and the workshops. But I wanted something that was real. I wanted stories that kids could read and not feel like everybody in the story was perfect. So the stories are about real problems that real kids have, like not being able to communicate with each other very well or not knowing how to set priorities or having other people think that your priority should be one thing and you think it should be something else. Or even into harder things, like in this story, Cruisin', the story is about a young girl who was hit by a car and she had been a basketball star at the school and then she was in a wheelchair. The Baha'i workshop group befriended her, but she just wasn't sure whether they were befriending her because she was in the wheelchair or because they really liked her for who she was. And so, you know, these kinds of very real issues that teens and adults deal with every day. So the books are not about fairy tales. They're about real life. Cindy, where can people find your work? Well, I have a website that they can go to, which is www.number9facets.org. And then if you put a slash and put 9F, it'll take you directly to the website where at least all of my books are there or you can link to my other websites from there. I have another website that is cindysebooks.com. My books are up there. They can be downloaded as ebooks. Some of them are free. Many of them are being recreated and put up on Amazon at this time. You can also find my very old books from the 80s and 90s on Amazon for like a penny. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking for Cindy Savage, I guess. Yeah, just looking for Cindy Savage. There are actually a couple of other Cindy Savages that write young adult books. but Oh, interesting. Yeah. So what's the latest work that you produced? The latest book that was published is called Travel in the Way of God. I created this book a couple of years ago after a one-month-long travel in China. We had taken the train and gone around to see some of the sites, knowing that we were not going to be there full-time after that. So we wanted to really make sure and see the pandas and the terracotta warriors and the stone forest and, you know, some of these things that everybody wants to see. And so after this trip, several things had been happening to me. And mainly it had to do with pushing and shoving and a lot of noise. At one point, somebody kind of was walking along next to me with a suitcase and I fell into a fence because he walked in front of me with his suitcase. And I broke a rib getting onto the metro because the door slammed on me. And It was just a couple things like that. I was really getting kind of fed up with the whole deal. And we got on the train to go to Mongolia. I was really feeling pretty resentful and just wanted to stick in some earbuds and zone out for 30 hours. And I thought, well, I could be really resentful or I could write a book. So on the train to Mongolia, I wrote this book called Travel in the Way of God. Would you like me to read you a little piece of that? That would be terrific, yes. Let me read you just the beginning of the story so that you can kind of get an idea. 
you know, we're always the main character in our stories. Well, we're actually always every character in our stories. That's how it works. So you may hear some of what I was just telling you in this story. Okay. So this is Travel in the Way of God, Chapter 1, which is called Sensory Assault. The crowd closed in. Taxi lady, 30 Kwai, a driver called out, extending his grimy hand to touch me on the shoulder. Booyao, xie xie, I said automatically, but I wasn't thankful. I was angry and just trying to get through the crowd at the train station. I had to get out of Beijing. I had to get away from the pollution and the people. A woman shoved a water bottle in my face. A scalper waved fake tickets. A shoeshine guy, despite my warnings, squirted foam on my shoe and proffered a filthy rag. They aren't even leather shoes. They have holes in them, and now my sock was wet. The crowds converged on the turnstiles. Suitcases everywhere. Huge plaid-covered bundles hoisted on shoulders. Skewers of meat with lethal points wheeled in the hands of children. Hard contact on one shoulder, cell phone in hand. The girl didn't even see me. Suddenly, someone cut in front of me with a rolling suitcase, and I fell sideways into the metal fence. His sorry, sorry meant nothing. Stinky tofu assaulted my nose. A woman screamed at her child. The announcer blasted his instructions over his microphone a foot from my ear, loud, jarring, and unexpected, like a blow to the senses. Tears unbidden flowed down my face. I had to get to the train. I had to stop the madness. A line of people. Just form a line, I thought. Take turns. Look out around you. Be considerate. Didn't your mother teach you any manners? I could say that in Chinese. Instead, I held the words inside, and they pushed the tears out. Struggling with my bag up the stairs into the train car and down the narrow aisle to the sleeping compartment, I checked the number twice through the blur, slid the door open, and entered my sanctuary. Ni hao, said a pleasant voice from the opposite bunk. Ni hao, I answered, not willing to turn around until I'd stowed my luggage, gotten out my headphones, and prepared to zone out for the next 30 hours. I wasn't in the mood to converse with anyone in Chinese or English. I just needed to be left alone until I reached the wide-open spaces of Mongolia, where I was looking forward to two weeks of camping in a gur and getting my frazzled nerves back in shape. Tough day, the voice asked as I slumped into my berth. Yes, I said, not making eye contact. I'd had this experience before. As a foreigner, everyone had wanted to talk to me to practice English. The less you engage, the better. Want to talk about it? She wasn't letting up. I pulled off my headphones and jerked my head in her direction. Five minutes. I'd give this conversation five minutes, and then I was zoning out. Her thousand-watt smile met my stoicism and melted right through it. I almost couldn't see past her smile to her eyes, which disappeared into tiny slits behind her wrinkles. Every inch of her face was creased by the lines of someone who has led a full life. Starbursts radiated from the edges of her eyes and joined with the ripples that started from the corners of her mouth and curved upwards. Her forehead rivaled a topographical map of the Himalayas, and her chin resembled the folds of a flamenco dancer's skirt. How old are you? I blurted out and then covered my mouth with my hand. Her musical laughter filled the compartment and put me at ease. I'm 106, she said, stretching out her withered hand to grasp mine in a much firmer handshake than I thought was possible for one so frail.
how old are you? Half your age, but I feel older, maybe 107. I'll let you know how that feels, she said, letting out another burst of lilting laughter. Tomorrow is my birthday. What a great story. <laughs> and so what happens in this story, and this woman's name is Xiao Lao, which means little old one. I mean, think about it. Who names their kid that on day one, right? She teaches her how to travel on the way of God using a quote from Abdu'l-Bahá. Who's Abdu'l-Bahá? Abdu'l-Bahá is the son of the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah. Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Bahá have written many, many books of guidance for us during this day and age. This quotation from Abdu'l-Bahá, I think, is quite appropriate to anyone who is struggling through life and trying to figure things out. Would you like me to read it to you? Please. Okay. So the quote says, Every day in the morning when arising, you should compare today with yesterday and see in what condition you are. If you see your belief is stronger and your heart more occupied with God and your love increased and your freedom from the world greater, then thank God and ask for an increase of these qualities. You must begin to pray and repent for all that you have done which is wrong, and you must implore and ask for help and assistance that you may become better than yesterday so that you may continue to make progress. So why did you include that quote? So the story, step by step, has Shao Lao helping Emma, the main character in the story, learn how to travel in the way of God by thinking about these different parts. And there's actually an activity for each part. So as you read through the story, there's a chapter and then there's an activity. And the first activity is, is your belief stronger? And the second activity is your heart more occupied with God. And so each of those questions that you're to ask yourself every morning, there's an activity in the book. That's it's a very short book. It's only about 50 pages long. And it's available on Amazon. If you just look up Travel in the Way of God, Cindy Savage, you'll find it. So what's the target audience? You know, this book has been read now by people of all ages. It's been translated into Chinese. It seems that no matter whether you are a young adult, and I would say that's like maybe 10 and up, all the way up to being somebody who is a senior citizen, everybody seems to get something out of it. And it's interesting because lately I've met a number of people who are pretty close to Shao Lao's age. Mm. When I first wrote the book, several people said to me, oh, you know, you should make her 90 because it's just not credible that she could be 106. But I've met a number of people lately who are going strong at 100 plus. So I think we need to aim that direction. In fact, I'm going to a yoga retreat in Sedona in a few weeks, and I'm specifically going because the oldest yoga teacher in the world will be there, and she's 99, still teaching. Cindy, what do you want your next work to be? The next work that I'm planning on is called Spirit Play. Spirit Play is devotion in motion. It is using art, music, movement, meditation, all as ways to connect your spirit with the divine. So this would be a book? 
it's going to be a, a book, but I think it'll be more of activities that you can do. I don't know that there will be a story that goes along with it. I just recently taught a spirit play workshop at Desert Rose Baha'i Institute, which is near Phoenix, Arizona. And we spent about three hours doing movement and a variety of different ways to meditate, which did not involve just sitting and trying to empty your mind. We used music, some different kinds of movement, making clay or finger painting or dancing, any of these things to almost keep your body busy so that your mind can be clearer. Well, Cindy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your work with us. Well, you're very welcome. I'm so glad that we were able to talk. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Cindy Savage, an educator for over 35 years and the author of 40-plus novels for young people and 100-plus textbooks. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. of stars placed in the skies by one God. Millions of men lift up their eyes to one God. So many children calling him by many a different name, one father loving each the same.
so many children calling to him by many a different name. One father loving each the same. There's only 
Every person in the world is connected. We come from the same place, and not so long ago, we spread out and changed, but our hearts still Try to come and kill me Cause I'm his enemy There's one tribe y'all One tribe y'all One tribe y'all We are one people Let's catch amnesia Forget about all that evil Forget about all that evil That evil that they feed ya Let's catch amnesia Forget about all that evil That evil that they feed ya Remember that we one people We are one people One people, one people, one people one people, 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 one people
one tribe, one tribe, one tribe, one time, one planet, one race, one love, one people, one. Too many things that's causing one to forget about the main cause. Connect and uniting, but the evil is seeded and alive in us. So our weapons are colliding and our peace is sinking like Poseidon. But we know that the one, the evil one's threatened by the sums. So we come and try to separate the sum. But he dumb, he didn't know we had a will to overcome. Rejuvenate by the beating of the drum. Come together by the cycle of the hum. In freedom, one all become one. Forever, one tribe, y'all. One tribe, y'all. One tribe, y'all. We are one people. Let's catch amnesia. Forget about all that evil. Forget about all that evil. That evil that they feed you. Let's catch amnesia. Forget about all that. One heart, one beat, we equal. Connected like the internet, united, that's how we do. Let's break well so we see through. Let love and peace lead you. We could overcome the complication, cause we need to. Help each other, make these changes. Brother, sister, rearrange this way of thinking. That we can change this bad condition. Break, use your mind and not your greed. Let's connect and then proceed. This is something I believe. We are one, we're all just people. One tribe, y'all. One tribe, y'all. One tribe, y'all. We all one people. Let's cap amnesia. Forget about all that evil. Forget about all that evil. That evil that they feed you. <laughs> Let's catch amnesia. Let's catch amnesia. Forget about all that evil. That evil that they feed you. <laughs> one tribe, y'all. We, 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 one tribe, y'all. One, one, one people. 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 Let's let's catch amnesia. Lord, help me out. Trying to figure out what it's all about. Cause we're one in the same. Same joy, same pain. And I hope that you're there when I need ya. Cause maybe we need amnesia. And I don't wanna sound like a preacher, but we need to be one. One world, one love, one passion. One tribe, one understanding. Cause you and me can become one.
This m o 
not come back Open the door to your This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.